Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. One is the loneliest number that you ever knew. Nice. Thank you. Except today we're going to talk about something that lets you do a whole lot more than one. Yes. But, you know, two can be as sad as one. That's true. That's true. That's what I hear. So we, we've we talked about this before, I think, on the podcast, uh, but we've never really de- you know, delved into it and gotten really, like, knee-deep in this in this topic. We're talking about uh, the IPv6 switchover and why it's necessary and why it's going a little slowly, although that that that's a little more uh, difficult to answer because that's that's getting into lots of different factors. Mm-hmm. But uh really you've probably heard about this, you may have uh, been following the news, you might have even seen that back in February of of 2011 that the last big batch of IPv4 addresses uh was assigned and that this means that we are running out of IPv4 addresses. Uh, before we get too far into it, I guess we need to kind of talk about protocols and addresses. Yep. 
Yep. And, uh, this is something that is hardly new. I mean, uh, people like, uh, you know, the, the internet founders, people like, uh, JCR Licklider and, uh, so many of the others, um, Vint Cerf among them. Yes. Back in the day. Robert uh, Kahn. Robert Kahn in the sixties and seventies were looking into how to share information between machines. Yes. And, um, they basically, they had a, a couple trials, but the, the version of the protocols that, uh, we use to communicate on the internet today date back decades at this point. Right. Yeah. Now, originally they had a protocol they called the network control protocol or NCP. Yes. But that was not nearly robust enough for it to truly allow networks of machines to communicate with one another. And thankfully, the people working on ARPANET recognized that and they began to work immediately on a, uh, a, a system that would or a set of protocols that would replace NCP. And that ended up being a pair of protocols, uh, IP and TCP, which are almost always uh, grouped together when you're talking about them because they are so closely related. Yep. One, the first is a transmission control protocol and the other is internet protocol. And it's, yep. they're often uh, separated by just a slash. So you yes. hear people talk about a TCP IP yeah, and, and, connection. And here's why they're connected so closely. So, the transport, uh, the, the TCP, uh, that's in charge of taking streams of data, essentially chopping up those streams of data, uh, and then handing it over to the IP. And then the IP handles the actual packet routing. The, the packets are the packets of information. Files are, are essentially divided up into packets of bits. And those are sent off across the, the internet. And then TCP, once, uh, it, the, the uh, packets arrive at their destination is in charge of placing those packets together again to reform a data stream so that the receiving computer is able to see the actual file or information that was being sent across rather than just a bunch of appar- uh, seemingly meaningless bits and bytes. Yes. Uh, because otherwise, if you know, if you didn't have those protocols in place, it's, it'd be kind of like if I were to, say, take a, a framed uh, picture and then I cut it up all into these tiny little pieces. And then I put all those tiny little pieces uh, into various envelopes and then sent all the envelopes to Chris and did not give Chris a way of finding out how to put those pieces back together. Well, that would just mean that I sent Chris a whole bunch of envelopes filled with broken glass and pieces of picture, which, frankly, I do anyway, but that's just for funsies. But uh, if I wanted to actually give him something that was meaningful, I would have to have something in place that would reassemble all those pieces back into the original format that it was in when I sent it the fir- in the first place so that Chris could see it. Mm-hmm. So come on, boys, let's take some pictures. <laughs> hey, airplane reference. <laughs> and so um, uh, that's that's how the, the information gets spread across the Internet, how you send information across the Internet. But but one key component of this is you have to have an address for your machine so that when you send information across the Internet, uh, there the systems on the Internet know what direction to send that that information in. Right. Right. Yeah, that's this is the thing about uh internet protocol is it serves as sort of a lingua franca for uh different computers on the net. So you can be running Linux and talk to a Windows machine or a Mac. And no, come on, Macs don't talk to anyone but other Macs. Have you seen those people? <laughs> they just sit in a click and they're all cool kids and they all look like they've just stepped out of a hipster boutique and Nobody said you have an anti Mac bias in some time. You just 
enjoy that, don't you? Yeah, once in a while I like to I like to and you don't, bring that back. Which is just funny. No, that's why I'm um, totally just I'm being silly. Yeah. But no, any any computer that is able to communicate um with TCP/IP to the internet and back should be able to communicate with other machines. So yes. you you should be able to to share information pretty easily. That's the the beauty of this. But as you said, the uh the addressing system has to support that and there has to be a way to know where the packets are are being sent to, especially since, you know, there is some redundancy in this, you know, network. There yeah. are packets being sent to one machine and then to another machine and hopefully one of them will get there on time right, to build right. the file back. And let's so, say let's say that one server is sending out the same file to like eight different computers. Well, it has to know how you know it has to be able to identify those computers to send in the right information has to send the right packets to each one even mm-hmm. if it's the same file you wouldn't want to send the same packet to computer number 1 and a different packet to computer number 2 and a different because you you wouldn't be able to to put those packets into any meaningful form right mm-hmm. you right. would have to set the same series of packets not necessarily in the same order either that's the wonderful, wonderful thing about the internet is that the routing system is really flexible so if machines go down on the internet the packets can be rerouted by other machines to go around the outage and still get to their final destination. So as long as the host computers that are in charge of sending and receiving the information remain on the network, theoretically, that information should eventually get there. It may take a little longer than ideally, just because computers that are on that pathway may have failed along the way. But the information should still get there. I mean, that's the whole robust nature of the Internet. So we've got this address issue. Now, the issue here is that the uh, the Internet Protocol uh, address that was set up was for reasons that I could not figure out, really, reasons that are so obscure that <laughs> that it might as well be forgotten, uh, is called IPv4, rather. Yes. Uh, this was the, the protocol that was settled upon for the addresses, and it, it uses a 32-bit address, mm-hmm. all right? 32-bit address, and it's in uh, the format of four 8-bit values separated by periods. Right. So it could be anything from 0.0.0.0 to 255.255, except um, that that's your range of addresses. Yes. Some of those you can't use. Yeah, actually, technically, if, if you could use all of the addresses, you would have access to 4,294,967,296 addresses, yeah. if you could use all of them. You yes. can't. You, there are more than half a half a billion of them that are uh, off limits. So Yeah. And and we've we've had people write into us before to explain that you know there are certain you cannot use zero and four times and then two fifty five four times there right. are some that that you cannot use but that does give you an awful lot of addresses yeah three point seven billion with a B addresses are uh, were available initially now the problem was that even back as early as the the nineteen nineties mm-hmm. I mean back even further than that. But in the 1990s, it was recognized that there was going to come a time where we'd run out of these addresses. Now, there's certain ways to kind of uh, to, to mitigate that somewhat. One of those ways is called network address translation or NAT. Yes. Network address translation. We've had people write into us about this as well. That's when you have a system like a router that has its own IP address. So the router has an IP address that's public. That's the other uh, part of the system is that these addresses have to be public. If they're private, then the system cannot, won't be able to see 
the the computer and won't be able to send information to that computer. Mm-hmm. So you have to have these public addresses. So the router has a public address, and then the the machines connected to the router all are assigned private addresses by the router. So let's say that I have a computer connected to this router. I send I want to go check a website, so I type in an address in my my browser bar. Uh, the, the, the request is sent to the router. The router then replaces my private address that the router has assigned me with the router's own public address. Then sends the request out to the internet. So then the request goes out to whatever server has that website stored on it. The server then sends the information back to the router. Now at this point, the router has to determine which of the computers connected or devices connected to its system is the one that requested the information in the first place. Uh, so there are some protocols that are, that you need in addition, some port mapping that you need to do in order for this to work. But in general, you can create a system where the router then sends that information to the right device, in this case, my computer, and I get to see the uh, the website. Now you might ask, well, why would you bother to do this? Well, it conserves IP addresses mm-hmm. because the router is the only one that has a public IP address. And so y- you might have a whole network of computers hooked up through this router, but those computers don't have their individual IP addresses. They have a little private address that's assigned by the router. Um, but, right. So, so anything that comes back, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to. No, go ahead. Um, so, your computer sends a request to your router in your house. Say you have two yeah. computers in your house. And from there, the router sends a request to wherever it is that the information you're looking for is coming from. Yep. Um, meanwhile, the person using the other computer um, in the household makes a request, and it goes to somewhere else. Yeah. Well, the information is all coming back to the router. Right. The router itself in your house is making the determination of which packet needs to go to which machine. So that that cuts down on some of the confusion and it and it helped to support IV, IPv4 addresses for a while past their I would say past their shelf life. Um but yeah, this is the decision they they realized this was going to happen in the early 1990s and yeah. in the mid 1990s they were working on a way to to figure this out and it wasn't until the uh till 1998 which at this point seems like a long time ago. Well, yeah, uh, but, it is a long time ago when you think that that was when this was proposed. Yes, but the in- Internet Engineering Task Force. Yes, which, uh, by the way, does not much care for NAT. Yeah, well, I'm... they they actually prefer the idea of every device having its own public address as opposed to having a a, a a middleman, like you can think of that router almost like a mailman. Like the the mailman gets all the mail in the bag and then has to deliver it to the right houses. The only thing right. is that in this case, the mailman is also the one who who assigns the addresses to the houses, and the addresses can change over time. Yeah, it it is it is inelegant. Yeah, but it is a solution. Right. Um, the thing is, um, another another thing that factored into this that I I haven't read, but I'm guessing based on my uh, history of working at an Internet service provider. I would guess that IPv4 also survived a little longer than it probably would have ordinarily because so many people in the 90s were using dial-up service. Yeah. And it's really coming to, uh, you know, a point where we have to make a move now, especially because so many more people are using, um, you know, broadband connections that don't, that you don't have to get off. And then we're getting things and like. And so you stay connected all yeah. the time. And you've got things like LTE and WiMAX that are also starting to, to 
create issues as well. Your, your, you know, your tablet has an IP address. Your phone has an IP address. Yeah. Your computer has an IP address. Your netbook has an IP address. And then so does everyone else's. Yeah. And so, those, those and they're not giving them up. Exactly. And like we said, in February 2011, the last free block of IPv4 addresses was assigned. Now that doesn't mean, again, like there's still IP addresses out there in these various blocks that have not been assigned, um, uh, to individuals or to machines. Yet. But th- it's just a matter of time before those run out. So the, the solution really that the, uh, IETF, that's the, that's the Internet Engineering Task Force that we talked about a couple times. IETF. IETF. Um, <laughs> the solution that they proposed was sort of a, <laughs> a nuclear bomb solution to this problem. You know, there are times where we accuse engineers of taking the, the, bare minimum number of steps in order to solve a problem. For example, the Y2K problem, part of that was an issue with encoding the year as a two-digit number. Mm-hmm. And so what happens when it hits zero, zero and rolls over? And there, that was what caused that whole Y2K panic, which some of you may not even be old enough to remember. I remember it uh, very well because I remember having a Y2K New Year's Eve party in Athens, Georgia with a bunch of my friends where we danced to... The song 1999 about 50 billion times. Um, so the IETF solution was, well, if the IPv4 uses a 32-bit system, let's, let's amp that up a bit. And they didn't go to 64-bit, which would have made quite a few more addresses. No, no, no. They went all the way to 128-bit, which uh, increases the number of addresses dramatically. And that's an understatement if ever there was one. Yes, uh, do you know how many addresses there will be under 128-bit? Would you like to? Actually, I, I did have that down. According to my notes, Yeah, 2 to the 128th power. That's – no one understands that number, Chris. Okay. Here. Well, you, you provide a better solution <clears throat> then. Here we go. You love doing this, don't you? 340 decillion, 282 nonillion, 366 octillion, 920 septillion, 938 sextillion, 463 quintillion, 374 quadrillion, 607 trillion, 431 billion, 768 million, 211,456. <sighs> or if you want to really just make that simple, you can write down three four zero and then add thirty six zeros behind it. That's that's an that's rounding down how many addresses there will be under un, there are under IPv6. I shouldn't say will be because IPv6 is implemented right now. It's just not widely deployed. I'm, I'm sorry. While you were doing that, I, I I got you a sandwich. I hope it awesome. So um. Yeah, there. That's that's. Oh, you might man, wonder I if spicy mustard. <laughs> now, um, you might. Well, let's let's before we go into adoption. One, yeah. Well, yeah. One of the things that's kind of neat about this. Yeah. Um, is it, it's it it's much the addresses here are much longer now. As I was saying before, um, with some exceptions, the minimum value you have you have four sets of numbers in an IPv4 address. Yeah, four sets of eight bit. Number dot number dot number dot number. Mm -hmm. And the number can be between zero and two five five. Right. There, you can't add any more numbers on top of that. That's as far as it goes. And that's how you create these, these, um, addresses. Right. But from my research, the, uh, the addresses are physically longer as well because in, yes, 
in addition to and in addition to numbers, you can also include letters well, in these addresses. It's because it's uh, an IPv6 address. You can write that out as an. It's a series of well, it's eight. 16-bit values. So instead of yes. four 8-bit values, which is the 32-bit address mm-hmm. of IPv4, it's eight 16-bit values, and you can use hexadecimal format. Right. And instead of periods between the numbers, which is what how we see an IPv4 address, uh-huh. use colons. So um, I got this from Ars Technica. Ars Technica has a great article about IPv6. Um, and so I would uh, – I'm just going to read off uh, the sample address that they used in their article – which was 2001 colon db8 colon 31 colon 1 colon 20a colon 95ff colon fef5 colon 246e now when you can see formats like that you could imagine yeah there's going to be a huge variety which was pretty clear from my 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 uh recitation of the number and that certainly solves the problem of how many devices can connect to the internet at a, at a time, each with its own address. In fact, according to the Ars Technica article, uh, essentially our sun will wither and die before we run out of addresses, uh, even plotting the same or increased uh, population growth that we're experiencing right now on. And then assuming that the number of ad, uh, devices each person has increases as well. It's just... It's such an enormous number that there's no conceivable way we could run out within the span of time that we, the human race would be around. Another cool feature of the address. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to get my head around that and I yeah. figured I should just move on. Another cool feature of IPv6 addresses is that if you have a section that has all zeros in it, you can skip it. Yeah, any, any sequence, as long, you can skip it once. So if you have, if you had two sequences of zeros, like if you had a sequence of zeros and then a number and then another sequence of zeros, I'm not sure you can skip both of them. I believe you, well, okay. According to a, uh, a paper I found from the University of Hawaii by, uh, Wilson Chan. Uh huh. Um, you can. Oh, okay. If there are no, if there are no other characters in there besides zeros, you right. can. And you do this with a double colon. Yeah, yeah. So if you had if you had a, a, a section on your address, actually you could technically have zero colon, zero colon, zero colon, zero colon, zero colon, all the way down to one, and you could just change that to colon, colon, one. I, I, I don't know if that works. Well, according to Ars Technica, it does. Wow, okay. So yeah, yeah. I mean, multiple multiple sections of zeros can be replaced with that double colon. So yeah. that's really cool too that you can use that as shorthand. Yeah. Now, um, you were right though. Uh, although people have been taking up IPv6, they're not not everybody is in a in a great big hurry to do this. Why? Because I would guess because it involves labor and people are saying, well, the IPv4 addresses are working just fine yeah, until I have to. I'm not going to mess exactly. with this. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, here, here's the thing. In order to switch over to IPv6, you have to have support on multiple fronts. Yeah. You have to have software support from the operating system front, which most I would say that I think all modern operating systems, like all the most current operating systems, support IPv6. Yeah, I, I, I know that, that uh, Windows and the Mac OS, and I'm pretty darn sure that Linux for a while now, they yeah. all have yeah, for, Windows, for several iterations. Right. Windows Vista was the first one to support it. And even Windows XP, I think there was a way where you could you could do it. It I just wasn't do it. it wasn't native to Windows XP. But Windows Vista and Windows 7 both support it natively. 
Mac OS does as well, and I'm sure Linux does as well. I, I can't imagine, considering... And considering Google's role in, in advocating for IPv6, I bet Chrome OS is as well. I would be, I would be su- surprised to find otherwise. Yeah, I would, I would be about as shocked as I possibly could be. So, you, you've got that. You have to have the support on the operating system and for the, so that your computer can actually send information across IPv6 protocols and then through the internet. Okay, I got that done. Now what? Well, now you also have to make sure that all the other devices on the internet are working on the IPv6 protocols. So in some cases with things like routers and nodes, you may have to have a firmware or software update Uh so that you can either... Uh, it's almost like teaching these machines how to handle a different format of information. Mm -hmm. Now, in some cases, you're going to have devices that are truly physically incapable of transmitting IPv6 uh, data. They just, they won't be able, because they're limited to IPv4. And in those cases, what would be required is that you would have to go in and replace them. You would actually have to physically replace those machines with machines capable of running IPv6 protocols. Okay. I'll go, I'll be right back. Let me go do that. Yeah. That, that might take you a while. Uh, but, but that's, that's a worst case scenario. Most, I would, I don't even know if I can say most. Many of the devices that are currently connected to the internet are capable of handling IPv6 with a software or firmware update. Then, uh, you've got to essentially run a, an internet that's kind of parallel to the one that, that every, that most people are using today because uh, IPv6 and IPv4 are not natively uh, compatible. Right. You can force some compatibility with something that's called tunneling, but it's not the same thing. So, for example, let's say I'm on an uh, I'm using an IPv4 machine of some sort, or that the information I am sending is going to have to pass through an IPv4 device before it moves on to an IPv6 destination. Okay. What it would need, to, what I would need to do, or actually what the devices would need to do, is to encapsulate my IPv6 address within an IPv4 address. It's almost like you are, uh, it's it's like a pill, like you've slipped this this thing into a a different form factor so that it can travel across the network. When it gets to the destination, you pop the pill open, and then. You get the IPv6, and by the way, yes, it does make those noises. Do not contradict me. Just say no. That goes um, for all of you. I pointed at Chris, but that point goes to you, Internet. <laughs> and all of your IP goodness. Yes. Wow, that sounds <laughs> awful. Doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so tunneling is is an inelegant solution. It's not really it's not really a solution. It's just kind of a stopgap. While uh, we have various systems convert over to IPv6. And there's nothing, you know, there, there are a lot of initiatives that are suggesting that companies and especially like internet service providers switch, make this switch happen, but it's not necessarily uh, mandated, right? It's not like legally mandated. It's funny you should mention that. Oh, yeah? Because uh, I was reading on Network World, there's an IPv6 tutorial that Carolyn Duffy Marsan wrote and said that uh, the government set, the United States government, set a mandate of June of 2008 for agencies to be able to say that their equipment could handle IPv6. Now, they're not – that doesn't mean that they had to switch over. But um, people are are saying that by 2012, yeah. um, provided, you know, the world doesn't end in one of the many uh, 
Apocalypses? Apop- uh, yeah, apop- apocalyptic what theories that are going the, on right now. What is the plural for apocalypse? Apocalypses? I'm pretty sure Buffy the Vampire Slayer asked that same question. In in between deaths. Yeah. Um, yeah, but basically by 2012, um, they're saying that, that network managers in the United States, yeah. because we do have a disproportionate share of uh, the world's internet traffic. Sure. Um but basically, hey, it was web- born here, so it makes sense. Well, it's true, but it it has spread nicely to other parts of the world. Yes, um, like kudzu. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're saying that by 2012, if if websites aren't starting to use IPv6, then the net then networks and the internet are going to slow substantially, and it's it's going to start to create uh, traffic bottlenecks and problems. So, mm-hmm. um, it's not a mandate mandate, but it's a you know, hey, you have a business. It's running on the internet. If you don't upgrade this by next year, you're going to be people are behind. going. Your customers yeah. are going to, and you know what? That is going to. <laughs> if, gonna, if there is a mandate, yeah. that's going to come close yeah. to it. A, yeah, it's a fiscal mandate as opposed to a legal one. Yeah, but uh, but the government has has dipped a toe into that water and said, you know, look, we you have to be compatible. And I think that's probably – she just said agencies in the in her article, but I think she probably means the federal government should be, um, ready to to yeah. go. And I think I think the there might be a concern for some people out there who are using older machines that may be using antiquated operating systems that will not be able to handle IPv6. No. Yeah. It's it's kind of making me think of the digital uh transfer. Remember back when uh we went from analog to digital for television transmission? I do remember that. Yeah. And uh and there was a fear that it was going to leave some customers completely without television service. Uh, which, you know, really TV serves a lot of purposes and not just entertainment. So I, I could make a snarky comment of, oh, no, I'll be without my Mork and Mindy. But let's be honest, TV has served a crucial role in spreading information, uh, p- particularly information that's very timely, like there is a tornado bearing down on you. Take cover. Yeah, that that has been in the news quite a bit. Yes. Lately in the and United States. And our thoughts States. go out to all the people affected by that, because we Chris and I both live in an area that has been uh, devastated by tornadoes in the past. Yes. And so we are also familiar with that situation. So, yeah, I mean. So you need to know these things, and that's how a lot of people get their information. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, clearly the same sort of expectation comes with people who are using the Internet. The Internet is becoming that kind of important uh, uh, outlet to the world, to getting information and to really – taking part in what it means to be a, a citizen of the world today. Right. Well, I mean, I started using the Internet in 1990. Uh, and at that point, I was enraptured with it. I loved using it. But I couldn't fathom then imagining what people are talking about now, that the idea that Internet access could be considered a human right and the fact that that debate in 2011, just 21 years later, is is – Stirring up and people are really talking about that possibility, um, you know, and having access at that mm-hmm. level, then right. we have to be able to if if that is true, if people really need that access over these networks, then you have to make sure that they can get it. And IB, IPv6 is more of a necessity than anything else. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got these two two conflicting but equally important necessities, right? You've got the necessity to create a system that's going to have the addresses that will allow people to connect to the Internet in the first place. And then you have the necessity of 
of making sure that people are aware of this change so that eventually they can switch over to a machine that's capable of of interacting, uh, interfacing with that system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people, I mean, just based upon how, how people uh, deal with electronics, the majority are going to be fine. Yeah. Because I think most people out there are running a computer with an operating system that's recent enough to interface with IPv6. There, I know there are exceptions out there. Yeah. But uh, the majority is what we have to look at, really. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Google did a study back in 2008 where they wanted to see how much of the how, mu- how much percentage wise of Internet traffic was uh, over the IPv6 networks. Mm-hmm. And they found that less than one percent of Internet traffic in any country was IPv6. 2008, which is 10 years after the IPv6 standard was finalized. So in a decade, less than a, a percent of all traffic was over IPv6. Yep. And I mean, that was, you know, it's only been three years since then, and we've already handed out the last big block of IPv4 addresses. So hopefully uh, we're going to see some uh, some major movement in the next few months to kind of create this parallel network. And like we said, it is a parallel network. It's not mm-hmm. like... It's not like the IPv4 network is necessarily going away overnight, although I would imagine over time it would be phased out. Uh, but um, but for the meantime, both systems would be running in parallel, and they'd both be you, – you would have the same experience on each. It's not like if you're on IPv6, you would get one version of the website that you're going to versus the one on IPv4. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just as a note, uh, you might if, – if you aren't as familiar with um, IP addresses – and you say, well, wait a minute, you know, these, when you're talking about everybody needing to upgrade their, their, uh, websites address to an, a new IP address, you know, I don't, I don't get that. I, I go to howstuffworks.com and I don't, I don't see that. I go to howstuffworks.com. What is this four, um, yeah. you know, octet number that you're talking about? Well, that's the thing. Each address on the internet, including the server where howstuffworks.com is, uh, stored, um, has an IP address, yeah. a numeric, mm-hmm. or and you know when IPv6 comes out, alphanumeric uh, IP address. The thing is, um, you don't necessarily see it, and that's because of the domain name servers. Yes, yeah. that's a different system that we could talk about again in the future. But yeah, that that basically layers on. And when you buy a domain uh, for your you know for your own personal website, right? You Basically, and that's how you can change hosting companies. If you wanted to go to, you know, my host from, you know, green and purple and orange host, you, right. you can you can do that because although their servers have different IP addresses, the domain name that you have, you know, my website is really cool dot com can be mapped to a different. You basically say, hey, don't go when somebody clicks on this name. Go to this IP address, not that IP address. Yes. So yeah, that that system is underlying that. I don't know that everybody necessarily knows that. We didn't really mention yeah. it. Well, the domain name server is really a separate thing anyway. Just like you were saying, uh, that that's because as people we have trouble remembering um, strings of digits in general. I mean, I know there are people out there who can rattle off pi to you know a crazy number of digits, mm, but pi. hey. What just happened? Hey, what happened? Um, but the, uh, most of us have trouble with that. And so, of course, the domain, domain name server was a solution for that where we created, um, uh, an address system for URLs or URLs, as my buddy calls them. Earl. Um, URLs. And that, uh, we can, uh, 
that's easier for us to remember. You know, HowStuffWorks.com is a lot easier to remember than a string of numbers. So, yes, same sort of thing. The, the domain name servers will still be mapping uh, the the English or or not even English, but the the word form of a, a website's address to its um, to its IP address, whether it's IPv4 or IPv6. So that should not change. We you won't be expected to type in a uh, you know eight sixteen bit value number in hexadecimal format in order to visit your favorite websites mm-hmm. to get your lols. Get your lols. Yeah, I'm late. You sure are. Let me just oh, say. Man. All right. All right. Well, that was a great discussion on IPv6. I hope that uh, that clears some stuff up for you guys out there. I know that there are a lot of you who have been wondering about this topic and just kind of kind of curious about you know, what's the deal with this? Why is it necessary? Uh, and it's necessary because we all want our internets. So, y'all, if you have any other topics you want us to talk about, you can let us know on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or you can send us an email, and that email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.